This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here is Rob Connie-Pierre. Hello and welcome to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host this week, Rob Conybeer, and we're coming to you live from Seattle. I'm a founder and managing director at Shasta Ventures, a leading venture capital firm based out in the Silicon Valley Bay Area, where we focus on investing in early stage companies. So what is Launchpad? Well, Launchpad is live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, and it's all about how to start companies, grow companies, and what goes on behind the scenes. If you have any questions or comments during today's show, give us a call. The lines are open at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. I'm really excited about today's lineup. We start with Jeff Gluck. He is the CEO at Foursquare. Then we have Dan Widmeyer, the CEO and founder of Bolt Threads. And they're a synthetic clothing company made from spider silk. Then we have Carl Showalter. He's the chief operating officer at leading robotics company, Fetch Robotics. And then to wrap the show, we'll have Stefan Seltz-Achmacher. He's the CEO and founder of Starsky Robotics. But as I mentioned, I'm thrilled to start off the show with Jeff Gluick, the CEO at Foursquare. Jeff, thank you so much for joining me today. Glad to be here, Rob. So why don't we start out by just hearing about Foursquare? What, what is Foursquare and how does somebody use it? Well, I think a lot of your users may Think about Foursquare's origins 10 years ago, inventing the check-in as a consumer app and people becoming mayor of their local coffee shop or, or bar. But today, Foursquare is primarily a B2B company, an enterprise uh, software company. We think of it as a location technology platform. So we, for instance, help 150,000 other companies make their mobile apps smarter or understand social trends and where people are going in the real world. And so our, our business is really helping inventors and marketers understand and connect the digital world and the physical world. I'll give you some examples that might be clearer. Say you want to uh, type in the Seattle Space Needle, since you're in Seattle, Rob, into Uber. It's a great uh, example. And and you want to say that you're you know you're going to be picked up at the Pike Place Market. Well, as you type those things into Uber, it's Foursquare's database that is looking up from a hundred million places around the world that we keep fresh for our customers. Where is the, the Pike Place Market, or or you know the Regency Cinema in Tribeca, or whatever it is around the world in 190 countries? We know essentially every business and where they are. And so that's how we help Uber. If you go to tag a tweet on Twitter and you want to be tagging a, you know, a a tweet from the Oracle ballpark or even the Starbucks on main street, you're doing that using Foursquare's what what developers call an API, um, our developer tools. If you have a Samsung phone and you get a photo album of, of your afternoon in central park, that's all because Samsung phones rely on Foursquare technology to understand where photos are taken and suggest in the Bixby AI great places near you. And 
and I could go on and on. We, we help Tinder match people better based on their favorite places. We help AccuWeather um, make their weather alerts smarter based on wh- whether you're at a baseball stadium or maybe at home. Uh, we help a TripAdvisor with technology that, that lets them, let's say, Rob, you're in Barcelona and you're near this great tapas bar that a friend liked on TripAdvisor and wrote a great review of. Uh, we give TripAdvisor the ability for users that opted in to tap someone on the shoulder and say, hey, hey your buddy um, from Shasta uh, loves this bar. You're right around the corner. Go in and order the crab legs. So that's kind of technology that we help. We also help measure whether ads work from, um, you know, sort of understanding well, where. Well, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe before we go into the ads, it sounds like you have a really unparalleled set of location information that yeah. makes other apps richer. And yeah. going back historically, you, you mentioned the check-in and how Foursquare created the check-in, this idea that you would be somewhere, you'd open up the Foursquare app, and then you would check in, and then your friends could see where you were. Yeah. And then that evolved into being able to look at recommendations for places. So when you look at the input side, how much of the input into your platform still comes from those check-ins that people now do with the Swarm application, as opposed to other sources of data? Yeah, that's a great question, how do we keep fresh our information about what places are popular and, and what places open exactly. around the world? So we still love our consumer apps and have um, millions and millions of users. We do over a billion check-ins on Foursquare Swarm each year around the world. And, you know, 90% of those are outside the United States. We have fans all around the world. But also now we have 150,000 registered developers of apps that, that use us, and some of them share back um, insights um, as they use those tools. So, for instance, um, even anonymously, when you tag a tweet, you're teaching our system that you're at the Equinox gym on the second floor and not at the Starbucks on the ground floor, and we... We're learning about the world constantly using machine learning technology and taking digital fingerprints of every business in the world so that we can say, oh, I, I see the world the way the phone sees the world. I've seen these 14 Wi-Fi access points in this strength configuration before. You must be on the third floor of the Mall of America at the Gap store. And, and, so and it's really interesting it because it's all, and it's all opt-in. When people check in, they know that they're announcing their location, so that's got to be really interesting. And then there's the other side of it on the consumer-facing side with the Foursquare app. And I've found in my experience that the ratings that you get there about restaurants and places to go tend to be far better in general than what I find from Google Maps or Yelp, where everything seems to be three and a half to four stars now. <laughs> yes, people, uh, not as many people know about the Foursquare City Guide, but if you're a traveler or a foodie, um, it is... Incredible. So download Foursquare City Guide. I think one of the reasons why the people who try it like the ratings is is a couple things. One is because we know which places are popular with the locals and people vote with their feet. They go back to the same coffee shop. Maybe they go to the same local bar, um, the same sandwich shop all the time. It must be good. And so whereas on Yelp, 
the ratings are driven by people writing these long diatribes because they're angry at the restaurant, or maybe the owner's daughter is writing a glowing review. We we try to take some of that noise out by looking whether the locals and whether tourists go to this place all the time, as well as as how they rate it. And oh, so, so that goes into the rating numbers. So yeah. I go to a place nearby about once a week called Rocket Taco here in Seattle. So is that probably boosting their rating on the Four Square City Guide? Yes. Yes, it would. It's it's a part of the, the rating is how popular the place is. And in fact, you'll even see on the, the reviews, these short mobile reviews or tips that people write on City Guide, um, that this review is written by someone who's been here over 20 times. So it's one of the ways we fight fraud in the system um, is, is to show that you're a real real user and, and you've, you've actually gone there a lot. You're not some someone overseas hired to create fake reviews or something. Yeah, no, that's good. So if you're just tuning in, I'm Rob Connybeer, and you're listening to Launchpad on Sirius XM 132, business radio powered by the Wharton School. I'm thrilled to be on the radio Right now with my first guest, Jeff Glick. He is the CEO at Foursquare. So one of the things I've seen with the company over the years, having followed it from its earliest days, is it's gone through kind of a number of transitions, or some people would call it pivots. And now it seems like the data platform is a lot like an iceberg, where you might see the tip of the iceberg, and that's, say, the city guide and swarm the check-in app, but the reality is the bulk of the the business is going on below the surface with this information that you provide in an API. Could you talk a bit of, about how the company navigated a few of those pivots along the way? Sure. Um, and a lot of people talk about Foursquare as an example of a, a consumer company that has pivoted to be a, an enterprise software or a technology platform company. We prefer not to use the word pivot, uh, and I don't think it's just semantics. I mean, I think of a company like Slack, which started out making a game, uh, and then that didn't, the game didn't work, but their internal messaging platform they used to build the game turned out to be a very valuable public company about to be. And yet, um, you know, we're still doing what Dennis Crowley, our founder and current chairman, set out to do, which is to connect the digital physical world, to make cities easier to use, um, to be a location tech company. And we always uh, wanted to open up our tools to others as well as build our own apps. But it has shifted more than I think Dennis originally ever imagined, which is now, you know, well over 90% of the, of the, the data that we see and well over 90% of the revenue of the company, um, really over 95% comes from serving all these other interesting companies from AccuWeather and TripAdvisor and Samsung and, and Apple and Snapchat as a customer to make their geofilters. And, you know, this is stuff that we're proud of because we're, we're bringing better, more context-aware experiences to lots of apps that people use every day. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting point that you make about kind of these transitions or evolution as opposed to a pivot, because a pivot is a very abrupt departure from where you were. And I think a lot of the things that have happened with Foursquare over the years have been natural evolutions. Were, when you look at the business that you're in today, working with Snap and these others providing information, did it surprise you how quickly that grew or did you get pulled into it or was it just the natural 
direction that you knew you wanted to take the business? It's a great question. Uh, Dennis Crowley was the founder and CEO, and about five years ago, uh, I met this well-known person, Ben Horowitz, the co-founder of Andreessen Horowitz, which was the biggest investor in Foursquare at the time. And Ben said, you should meet Dennis Crowley because we're looking for someone who's been a CEO a few times, been a, started his own company, which I did, um, helped other companies grow to, to work with Dennis and, and help Foursquare become a sustainable, scalable, big business. And uh, so I joined not knowing whether um, we would grow the consumer franchise and having at the back of my mind a sense that there was a, a gold mine here in the technology capabilities uh, that we had and how it could affect lots of industries. And I, I remember saying to Dennis the first time we met, let me get this straight. We have technology at Foursquare that understands when the phone in your purse or your pocket goes in and out of 105 million places accurately in 190 countries, and all we're doing is guiding people to a better coffee shop or a better burrito. Yeah, it's got to be more valuable than that. Yeah, there's so much more to to do. And in fact, you know, 90% of the consumer spending in the United States still takes place not in e-commerce, not on Amazon, but at the supermarket, at the car dealership, at the restaurant, uh, and on and on in the physical world, at the store. And and so the power to connect um, the real world and the digital world where people spend more and more time, but the dollars are still spent offline, that was powerful. But also we think about the uses of this technology to disrupt the way AI can get more contextually smart, the way autonomous vehicles can be smarter in the future, the way healthcare um, delivery could be smarter, the way urban planning could be smarter, the way real estate is is uh, transacted. There's so, so, so these are all these are all these are all great examples. How do you think about going into those new areas? Well, we're spread pretty broadly, so we're trying to to do first things first. We we work in about five areas today, and the business as a B two B company is you know, 10 times bigger than it would be if we were just a consumer company. And uh, so we help companies with analytics to understand, you know, sort of aggregate foot traffic trends, which stores are up, which restaurants are popular, where are people going. We help people measure whether ads are working. We actually help 50% of the Fortune 100 and 75 of the biggest chains in the U.S. understand whether their ads are, are working to, to incent people to come into their store or their restaurant. Um, and so we also help developers, as I mentioned, 150,000 developers make their apps smarter. Um, and then we also um, help advertisers find groups of people who are more likely to be interested in their product. And so that's kind of called ad targeting. But uh, to make it sound less nefarious, we might we might say help. Um, help a, a new natural spirit that wants to launch and wants to, to reach, you know, the few million people who shop at Whole Foods each week and go to yoga studios and go, go to parks all the time or outdoor areas. Maybe the spirit will be right for those kind of outdoorsy, natural-oriented consumers. So we might, we might help them make sure their message reach that, reaches that niche audience. And that's the kind of thing we, we hey. do based on the places that people go. 
And, and when you look at something like that, do you tend to get pulled into it by customers or do you identify those things in consultation with them? We have about 500 sort of archetypes or personas that we start with that are pretty standard. Um, and it, it might be that archetypal, you know, mom who, who goes to, to a lot of uh, preschool drop-offs and then to a yoga class or a, or a, a soul cycle class and, and, uh, and the like, or shops at a natural grocery. That would be one kind of one of these 500 personas. We might have someone who is a late night fast food junkie. You know, we might have people who go to movie theaters a lot. We might have, you know, people who, who, um, shop at Walmart frequently, you know, so these would be different standard groupings that an advertiser can tap into. And we have profiles, um, of well over 100 million uh, U.S. devices based on places they go through opt-in through the through the network, and everything we do is on an opt-in basis. Um, and but we're in very privacy-friendly way, trying to just create these general interest graphs based on where you go. So shifting gears a bit, and I think it's probably in keeping with a company that pays attention to location and where people go. You've lived all over the world. You've been in England, Peru, Bolivia, Venezuela, Washington, Palo Alto, New York City. How has that affected the way that you approach running a business like Foursquare? Well, we have a global business, first of all. So having spent seven years of my life and career living outside the United States, I'm very mindful that uh, the world is not simply... um, Manhattan or Palo Alto, uh, and not even the United States. It is it is people all around the world. I worked in economic development uh, in Latin America and the Middle East. I worked on climate change projects for many years. Um, I'm kind of an idealist at heart, and and so we think a lot about how how this industry can can benefit the world over the next decade and beyond. And so we. We think a lot about things like privacy and ethics and trying to build an te- ethical tech company. We think about obligations to the kind of our global community. One of the ways we, we keep our data so fresh is that we have a million volunteer editors around the world who alert us when a business opens or closes um, around the world. And, and, and so it's this sort of crowdsourced Wikipedia of places, in effect. And so, you know, we, we have to be conscious of stewarding this global community and respecting that and, you know, my training in international relations and diplomatic history in grad school maybe comes into, in, into bearing. Yeah, it's pretty relevant. Yeah. Well, one of, one of the things I think you mentioned at the outset was, was it 90% of the check-ins on your swarm application are outside the U.S.? Yes, that's, that's true for the, for the swarm uh, branded app that we, uh, we launched the original check-in. That's true. It's a very global audience. And, and so um, both Foursquare City Guide and Swarmer actually became much more popular outside the United States than, than in the U.S., which um, in the short term was a business disadvantage because having lots of users in Indonesia or Korea wasn't easy to monetize initially. But um, right. But uh, in the long term, it's made us a really unique partner for companies like Twitter or Apple or Samsung or Alibaba and others, because when they want to make their apps work globally, they can come to us as a one-stop shop that, that can really help their apps be contextually smart around the world. 
Yeah, the, these numbers are really interesting. And a million volunteer editors, are those editors on Swarm or are they through some other interaction method? Right. There's there's ways to become an editor in either the Foursquare City Guide or Swarm. Um, and you can work your way up to be what we call a super user, which has even 10 levels. So it's a little gamified um, where you get higher and higher edit rights. Think of it like almost like a Wikipedia editor as you prove yourself with accuracy. But, you know, these million editors start out just noticing that maybe a new a new ice cream shop has opened down the block and it's not yet in the database of 100 million places because the world's constantly changing, right? And so they might add that place and then it goes to two or three other volunteers to double check and proof it before it goes into the, the master set that, that then might wind its way into Twitter or Uber or Apple Maps or other customers who rely on our mapping data. Yeah, and I've got to believe figuring out how to do those layers of editing to effectively proofread and trust people that are editing that database is a competitive advantage you've built up over close to a decade now. It's something we could never do starting from scratch, uh, but because we started this really creative crowdsourced participation and people would would write to Dennis Crowley and say, hey, how come you haven't brought Foursquare? This is, you know, back 2009, 2010, 2011. How come you haven't brought Foursquare to, to Rome? Or how come you haven't brought Foursquare to, you know, Johannesburg? And they would organize volunteers and say, well, we'll, we'll get a couple hundred people and we'll tag all the businesses for you so you can get going here. And so it really was started as this crowdsourced play. Now, of course, over time, we now have tons of, um, industrial as well as human sources. So a company like Yext, which helps small businesses get online, will feed us nightly updates from their small businesses because they know that's how they build a, they, they give value to their small businesses because that's how they get onto Twitter or Uber or Snapchat geofilters or the like is through Foursquare as a source of truth for thousands of developers. So, so it's a, it's a whole ecosystem now that that starts with the the crowdsourced users and editors. But there's lots of um, other sources now that we we combine into this uh, wondrous stew. <laughs> so if you're just tuning in, I'm Rob Conybeer, and you're listening to Launchpad on SiriusXM's business radio, powered by the Wharton School, SiriusXM 132. I'm on the phone right now with Jeff Glick. He's the CEO at Foursquare. So when you take a look at what you've done so far and the way the company has, has built from from direction to direction, where do you see Foursquare going in the next five to maybe 10 years? Well, we really want to build what we call a location technology platform company. And we want to be the most trusted, independent location technology platform in the world. And, and what, does that, what does that mean? Each word really matters. We want to understand better than anyone else how people move through the real world. We want to then allow other inventors and makers and analysts and creators and marketers to leverage our tool set to, to make the world more useful, smarter, more personalized, more contextual. And for now, most of our business is in the United States, but our mapping capabilities are, are global thanks to this crowdsource network. And so I see 
tons of growth just springing Foursquare over time um, as a partner to to developers and and marketers around the world. Uh, but I also see all these new areas. I mean, measurement has become a big business for us, and we're just getting started. Remember, uh, less than 10% of spending is on e-commerce, and the physical world of business owners hasn't been able to understand which ad is working, which one's not. The famous Wanamaker quote, <laughs> half my spend is wasted, I just don't know which half. And so we're Such really, a great quote. We really uh, are, are building tools that offline businesses can use to be able to compete with the Amazons of, uh, and Ebays of the world and understand which messages are inspiring visitors to walk in their, their storefront. And so that's, that's a huge growth area for us as well as developer tools. But I see all these new verticals beyond obviously marketing and, and making apps sort of contextually aware. We, we, as I mentioned, down the road have our eye on revolutionizing how real estate works. We are. We think there's all kinds of interesting health. Oh, how would how would that work? How would how would you change the way that real estate works? Well, if you understand, which we do, which stores are popular on every block around the world by time of day, and how far people have come to visit that store, then imagine when, say, Chipotle needs to decide where that they should open the next Chipotle. <laughs> Today, they kind of have people offering them spots all over, but how do they think about it? We, we could pinpoint the places where there's a lot of people going out to lunch, um, but there's no Chipotle. And there's a lot of people who look similar to Chipotle frequenters in other neighborhoods, but there's no Chipotle. Um, but down to the block and time of day, and if you're a business that wants um, – say, female overseas tourists, where should you locate your, your flagship store that has a really high popularity of female overseas tourists? <laughs> we understand sort of in an aggregate, anonymized way sort of which parts of every city are bustling and, and how far people go on average to get to a supermarket or a drugstore or, or you name it. And so we can help, help uh, landlords and sort of tenants be smarter and more analytical. This is everything else has become more data-driven. Real estate is this enormous industry, and it's not data-driven today. It's very relationship-driven. And, and so, do you think that as you build out things like that, you'll build out more and more self-service tools that are easier for individuals to come in and look at this type of information on an aggregated basis? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. We just acquired a company from Snap Inc., the parent of Snapchat, called Placed. Place.com, and they have some self-service analytics tools um, that are very basic. For the most part, our tools have been built in our white glove service to help Fortune 1000 kind of companies, and that's that's where we focus today. But our dream is to um, to build these tools that are so self-service that a local barber shop or pizzeria or a local bar can also uh, apply a lot of these tools. Um, and we, we already make a lot of our developer app tools available for free to small developers. You know, your three kids in, in uh, you know, upstate New York who want to build a bar rating app, you can, you can use our APIs um, and our SDK for free to get started. And it's only once you reach a sort of commercial tier 
uh, like the big clients that, that you, you would start to pay. And so we really want to give back these tools and, and we're on that journey to, to pull it off. We're not yet a profitable business. We're getting close. Um, and, and once we get there, um, we'll be able to turn to a lot more self-service product development. Well, it's it's interesting looking at where the company is today because you've really gotten to scale. You have these customers. You have this leading places, not just places, but living places, who comes through and how long do they stay, how often. What advice would you have for an entrepreneur that is getting started because you really have to go almost in steps to get to that type of scale for thinking about how to – where they have grand aspirations like that, but have to start relatively small. So we have we have big aspirations, but you do have to start with a market that you can attack and be focused on it, and then and win, yeah, there. and and win. And so, um, even though we have a ten year vision of all the industries that we can remake, we know there's just a few areas we're focused on now, and we're a hundred million dollar business this year. Uh, if you're an even smaller entrepreneur, you, you have to be even more focused. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that I give as advice to entrepreneurs is to be open to evolution. So you start out to do one thing. In our case, start out to learn about the world through allowing check-ins and inventing the check-in. But over time, you realize you've actually built this better crowdsourced way to map the world and understand where a phone is. And that there could be all kinds of bigger economic implications of that tech, which you originally built around a check-in game, um, but that, that you have a bigger idea here. And so be open to that journey. I mean, I've been a uh, co-founder of a business that evolved. Um, I've been um, CEO of, a, of another startup that evolved a lot. Where In each case, we had amazing technology. The first consumer use case didn't quite pan out the way we, we hoped. But we'd invented something, and we partnered with other businesses and, and made it scale and work. Yeah. So I, I think this journey. evolution advice is really good because it's like a career where you go through and you, you do something really well and you excel at it, and then it opens up other opportunities which are based on that foundation that's been built. And it looks like that's, that's really what's, what's happened here with Foursquare. Absolutely true, Rob. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me on your show. And for listeners who would like to learn more about you and or Foursquare, where should people go? Well, check out the Foursquare website. We have a blog, uh, resources of all kinds, so foursquare.com. And, uh, and there's bios of us and stories about the ways we're trying to help other companies reinvent their industries. So check it out and, and drop me uh, a tweet at, uh, at Jeff Glick if you like what you found. Great. Thanks again, Jeff. So we need to take a short break. Uh, when we're back, I'll speak with the co-founder and CEO of Bolt Threads, a biotech company revolutionizing fashion. I'm Rob Conybeer, a founder and managing director at Shasta Ventures, and you're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 